huge good morning to all of you at Bolingbrook. You are loved. To those of you at 95th Street, love you as well. Wheaton, Hobson, welcome back. New series, actually middle of our series, called The Pearl. The Pearl. I, yeah, I got my pearl still. Just a reminder, remember Jesus said that life with God is so amazing. Reconciliation with your maker. Forgiveness of your sin. Partnership with him through life. So amazing. It's so precious. It's like a pearl merchant who's been searching all his life, dreaming of the the pearl of all pearls. And when he finds it, he's willing to give everything in order to make it his. Jesus said, that's how extraordinary it is for those who have found life in Christ. And those of us who have found it, we say amen. But then we realize that the Lord is calling us to help others find the pearl. That we are to be evangelists, uh, agents of God, helping people far from God discover new life in Christ. And it's terrifying, that thought. You know, we're like, how can I do that? And then we discover five simple steps that come right out of the life, the teaching of Jesus Christ. And to make it easy, they form the, the word pearl. Remember? Week one, we looked at pray. Jesus called us to pray regarding the harvest. And I've never been praying so much about people far from God in my whole life. This silly pearl that I got in my pocket. And I should tell you, if you don't have one as a little prompt, feel free to pick one up in the atrium at Compass Central. At all campuses, we've got a basket of them. You can grab one or more. But it's just reminding me to pray. And as I pray, my heart is growing with passion and concern and love for those far from God. And so many of you, one of the things I've been so encouraged about is how much involvement uh, you all have been involved with. I mean, you've been telling me, I've just bumped into so many people who say, Jeff, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Look at this one. Eat. Last week, some of you were like, yes, this is my spiritual gift. Eat. And I had, I had a guy, no kidding, he texted me this week and he said, Jeff, I'm rising up because I never found a sermon that I can apply so easily. He said, I have... I scheduled a different lunch every day this week with somebody far from God in hopes that the Lord may use me in their lives. Every day, five days, Monday through Friday. I'm like, wow, isn't that great? Now, this is where it gets hard, you know, because if you thought just eating, rah, 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 is going to, no. It's the conversation that happens around that table that's essential. And we're, we're moving into that now with ask. This week, we're talking about ask. Next week about reveal, this is where you share your story and talk about how Jesus and the cross of Christ, his forgiveness, his death for you, how it's wrecked you, it's changed everything. And then the last week will be love, how we can bring a taste of the very love of God, love of another kind, love from another world. We can bless our friend with a little taste of that love through us. God wants to love them through us in tangible ways fun series and with profound impact in a lot of lives as we go forward. So we're on ask, ask, questions. You know, I want to do a little demonstration to kind of model healthy conversations. We're going to talk about question and answer, Q and A, right? When, when you sit around the table, when you've asked someone to eat with you, it's, it's now time to engage in a balanced constructive 
healthy conversation. And just to kind of model how it goes, I need a little help. And so, George, would you be willing to uh, jump up here? George Knabel is the new youth pastor at the Hobson campus. So, George, say hi to everybody at 95th and everybody at Bolingbrook. All right. So, George, why don't you take the answer ball? And I'm going to come over here. And this is kind of how a healthy conversation goes. Hi, George. Enjoying your pizza? Here, watch this. I have a question for you. And then he would provide an answer. See how that goes? And now George, being modeled by my question, asks me a question. Thanks for asking, George. Here's an answer. And then another question. And then another answer. Huh? How about that? Now, here's one of the problems. Some of us like to talk. You know what I mean? And some of us are so fond of our answers that we don't even need a question to prompt us. You know, our brain is just having thoughts coming to mind, even as we sit there. And when they come to mind, we can't keep them in our mind. We're just like, George, since you asked, I'm going to tell you something else. And you know, that brings to mind something else, which makes me think of this. And let's just keep talking. I'm enjoying this conversation, right? And it's so imbalanced. You know, there's this awkwardness. He did pretty well. Should we give him an applause there? He caught them all. (laughs) Been in conversations like that, where at the end you're like, I couldn't get a word in edgewise. Or maybe the other way around. I didn't give them a chance to get a, a word in edgewise, huh? Some people, it's such a problem that the best way to illustrate what they got going is this. You know, here's, let's have a conversation, shall we? You know, is it, right? This is what lunch is like for you. It's not healthy, not healthy. Thanks, George. Could you put those in here? Good man. Let's thank him one more time, shall we? When it comes to question and answer and Jesus, Let's imagine what that dynamic would be like if it were you and Jesus sitting at the table. Q and A with Jesus. When I say that, you'd think, well, I would be asking the questions because he's got all the answers. He's the most brilliant being in the universe. Of course, what do I have to say? So you would imagine that that time between you and Jesus would be you asking questions, him giving answers. I think you're wrong there. And it's not what I know about you that makes me say that. It's what I know about him that makes me say that. Let's study Jesus together, shall we? This is a passage I want to look at out of the book of John. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. John 1.35 says, The next day, John, and now I should clarify, this is John the Baptist. This is a relative of Jesus Christ, a fellow minister of the gospel, one who started his ministry before Jesus did to prepare the way for Jesus to arrive. That's that John. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when John saw Jesus passing by, he said to the guys, Look, there's the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. All right. Let's start with these words. The next day, you say, well, what, what, why is there a reference there? Because this is the day after an extraordinary day. This is the day after the disciples of John, the followers of John the Baptist, met Jesus for the first time. Jesus had come up to this gathering where John the Baptist was teaching, and John stopped in his tracks and pointed to Jesus Christ and said, there he is. 
the one I've been talking about for years, has just arrived. He is, catch this, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what John said. One of the most profound statements ever made about Jesus Christ. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, these Jewish people were very familiar with lambs taking away sin. They'd grown up with the sacrificial system where animals were brought to the temple. And the, the idea was that you're a sinner. You've got all this gross moral failure in your life. But somehow, by God's grace, your guilt is transferred to the, to the lamb. And then the lamb dies. It is slaughtered. Its blood is shed. And somehow through its death, its suffering, you're forgiven. Somehow it took your place. It was your substitute. They understood it, but yet they were like, I don't know why a lamb, you know, somehow is going to die for me. I don't get it fully. Well, on that day, they got it. When Jesus said, or John the Baptist said, All of this sacrifice for a thousand years we've been doing, it's all preparing and pointing to him. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they're like, oh, so really he's the one. All of our sin is somehow miraculously transferred to. He takes into himself the guilt of the whole world, and he will be slaughtered. His blood will be shed. And through him suffering the punishment, capital punishment, on our behalf, we'll be forgiven. These guys, I mean, this was a day of mind-blowing proportion where they're like, you're kidding me. He, this Jesus, is God's answer to the sin problem of all humanity. This guy, Jesus, is the long-promised, long-awaited Messiah. He's it. John the Baptist is like, he's it. And so on the next day, when they see I'm sorry, can we go back? On the next day, when they see Jesus passing by, John says, guys, look. The Lamb of God. What's John saying? Guys, this is your chance. He's here. What are you standing there for? And they got the message because it says they followed Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? They followed Jesus. Now, the great thing about John the Baptist is he was so humble. He was not trying to get people to follow him. His encouragement was, don't follow me. Follow Jesus. Jesus is the one it's all about. And they did just that. Now, let's turn to the next verse, verse 38. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you guys want? Now, the challenge with Scripture is you have to figure out or guess as to the intonation of how he said it. You know, Jesus turned around and he saw them following. He's like, what do you want? You know, you're bugging me. Why are you following me? Is that the intonation? I don't think so. We'll get at it in a moment. But let's read the response of the disciples of John. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? This is a weird conversation, all right? At first glance, you're like, you know, he asked you a question, and you gave him another question. You're supposed to give him an answer. What's going on? This is just weird talk. And whenever something sounds weird in Scripture, it probably warrants our greater reflection and meditation and study Because as it begins to make sense, you begin to say, oh, oh, brilliant. And yes, my friends, this is brilliant. When these disciples of John, now wannabe disciples of Jesus, 
respond to Christ's question with another question, they're doing something very profound in the rabbi-disciple relationship. In a rabbi-disciple relationship, the goal was that the disciples would become like the rabbi. They'd watch the rabbi. They'd study the rabbi. They'd do what the rabbi did. And that's what's happening here. When, when Jesus looks at them and goes, I have a question for you. What do you want? They were like, oh, question asking is a big part of this Jesus and how he rolls and how he does his thing. And so let's model ourselves after him and do what he did and ask a question. They were brilliant and they were right. Jesus, in fact, was a huge question asker. And for them to try to be like him in this way was right on. In fact, I'll tell you how big of a question asker Jesus was. First of all, this question right here in John 138. This is the first words of Christ in the Gospel of John. If you look in your Bible, it's the first red letters in the Gospel of John. The first words of Jesus were a question. Is it the last question he asks? (laughs) Jesus asked, 307 questions in the four Gospels of the New Testament. 300, that's how many questions? How many answers? Eight! In the four Gospels, when you look for when Jesus was asked a question and then gives an answer, he only gave eight answers, 307 questions. Jesus took question asking to an art form. He was a master at asking questions. He revolutionized people's lives through the power of asking questions. And so it begs the question, why did he ask so many questions? And that's what I would like to pause with you. What what is the power of question asking? Why did Christ find this strategy so effective in seeking to impact people's lives? Well, I'll give you three Three ways Jesus used questions to impact others and three ways we can use questions to do the same. The first is this. Jesus used questions to invite others to tell their story. I have uh, some props here. The first prop is a a book. This book just reminds us of a storybook. And uh, Jesus... uh, got people to tell their story by drawing it out of them with questions. I'll give you an example. This is in Mark chapter 9, verse 21. Jesus comes upon his dad, and the dad is crushed because his son has a seizure condition. The son is having seizures all the time. They believe it's a demon that's causing it. And Jesus asks this question. How long has your boy been suffering with this condition. Now here's a question I have for you. Did Jesus not know how long the boy had been suffering with this condition? One of the things we find out about Christ is he knew people's names before he was ever told. He knew the details of their life before anyone told him. He had supernatural knowledge. And so yes, he knew, but why did he ask the question? Because he wanted this guy to tell his story. And it worked. This dad said, well, My boy's had this problem since he was a baby. It's horrible. He will seize in ways that put him at risk. He'll fall into fire and he'll fall into water. I think the demon's trying to kill him. And this man shares the story and Jesus listens with compassion. Christ, did Jesus correct people? Yes, but he wanted to connect more than correct first, at least. 
And one of the great ways you can connect with people is to invite them to tell their story. If you sit down at lunch and you say, all right, I'm so glad we have lunch. This is such a wonderful opportunity for me to tell you a bunch of things. They're like, hey, you know. But if instead you say, no, I want you to share your, would you share your story with me? And, you know, if you get good at this, you can start asking them questions. Tell me where you were raised. What was your family like? How many siblings did you have? Uh, what, what did you think of high school? Where did you go to college if you went? Are, are you married? How did you meet your spouse? How did you get in the career path that you did? You get good at this, and, you know, people will push back and say, you don't want to hear my story. Oh, no, I do. If you really believe that they are precious to God, then their story is precious. No story is without value, if you really understand the value of people, right? You say, no, the little turns and twists of your story are precious. I mean, this is about a soul that matters to God. So you can tell them, I want to hear your story. And they're like, all right, well. And they start sharing. One of the great things, I've heard this before, maybe you have as well. At the end of a meal like this, people will say, Man, I've never told my story like that before. You got me telling things I've never shared with anyone before. And you say, well, thank you for sharing it because it was a joy and an honor to hear your story. Folks, one of the great ways we can connect with people is asking them those questions that draw out their story. All right, Jesus did that. The second thing, story, is heart. That Questions have a way not only of inviting people to tell their story, but inviting people to reveal their hearts. Got a heart here to remind us that what we want to get at is the, the passions and the dreams and the fears that lie beneath the surface, and questions can get there. Listen, if, if conversations are all surfacy about sports and weather, it's not going to change their lives, is it? we got to get to the stuff of the heart. And Jesus had a way of doing that. In fact, in our passage here, John 1.38, I believe Jesus' question here is getting to the heart of these guys. He looks at them and says, what do you want? And you say, Jeff, you're, you're inferring a lot of meaning in that question. Don't you think it was just the, you're bugging me. What do you want? No, I don't. Here's why. With Jesus, it was always deep. You know, in fact, uh, just in this book of John, John 3, Jesus is going to talk about the need to be born again. And this guy he was talking with is going to be like, born again? How can I climb back into my mother's womb? And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I'm talking about something deeper. I'm not talking about physical birth. I'm talking about spiritual birth. And then in the next chapter, John 4, Jesus says to his disciples, I've got a food you guys know nothing about. And the disciples were like, oh, then I'm hungry. Give me some of that. You know, and Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't get it. I'm talking deeper. It's not physical food. It's spiritual food. So Jesus was always going deeper than we assume. And so when he said, what is it that you really want? Folks, it was deep. In fact, this is one of Jesus' favorite questions. In the Gospels, Jesus asked a variation of this question. What do you want? Nine times. Can you believe that? He asked a uh, pushy mom who was trying to advance the, the position of her sons. He asked that mom, what do you want? 
he asked two blind men, which is kind of a ridiculous question. You're blind people. What do you want? And they're like, well, to be healed, to see. Christ knew that that's what they wanted, but he wanted to hear them articulate. Tell me, what do you want? Uh, Jesus asked that of two potential recruits before they became disciples. He asked, what do you want? He asked two ambitious disciples wanting to be more important. Help me understand what you want. He asked a paralyzed man. He asked a searching soldier. Jesus was just always going to the core saying, tell me what you long for. This is a question that we can ask folks. Maybe it's in this form. What's your dream in life? What is your dream for your kids? What's your hope for your career? What do you hope to get out of retirement? You know, these longing questions really get to the heart, don't they? But these heart-revealing questions may be stuff like, what is your biggest fear? What do you hate about life? What do you love about life? Folks, you see how these questions get to the substance of life. Rather than talking sports and weather, these are questions that drive down deep. Now, you've got to be careful. You can't go too deep and offend, but the Spirit of God will guide you with discernment and sensitivity as to what question is appropriate at what stage of the relational development. All right. So there's two. Uh, questions help people reveal their story. Questions help people reveal their hearts. One more. Questions help people discover the truth. This is counterintuitive. You know, normally we think a question doesn't tell people the truth. You got to give them an answer if they're going to find the truth. And answers do help. We'll get to some answers next week. But Jesus understood that sometimes a question can put them on a path of self-discovery. Get them wrestling with what's true and actually result in a wrestling that ends in a real good place. One example of Jesus using a question towards this end would be Matthew 16, verse 26, where Jesus said, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? Isn't that a good question? (laughs) Another way of phrasing it would be, Do you think it's a win if someone in this life is really successful, but after death is a complete failure? Is that a win? Oh, oh, I haven't thought about that. See, Jesus just drove people crazy. These are questions that haunt you. We're like hours, days after the question is asked. They're still wrestling over that question. One commentator about uh, commenting on this very verse talked about these kind of questions being like a pearl. And when he said that, I'm like, That's it. We're in a pearl series. That's beautiful. He said, these kind of questions are like an irritant. You know, that's how a natural pearl is formed. An irritant, like a grain of sand, gets into the mollusk. And the mollusk is like, ah, I got a grain of sand. And the mollusk just obsesses on that grain of sand. All of the energy is poured into wrestling over that grain of sand and really putting this pearly substance around that grain of sand until... It becomes a priceless pearl. And he says, that's what Jesus did. Jesus would put irritants in the form of questions into people's minds. They'd be like, ah, man, you're driving me crazy. Now I'm lying in bed still thinking about what you said. Jesus said, good. Because some of the most irritating questions result eventually in the most precious pearls of truth. Right? 
And you can do this too. You can drive people. This is kind of fun. Drive them crazy. This is where you can ask people. So what do you believe about God? Why do you believe that about God? Are you sure that that's true about God? How certain are you? Or what do you believe about life after death? Do you think you're right with God and going to the favorable place after death? These questions, tell me why you think that. Duh, I was doing great ignoring, you know, eternal matters for a long time here and la, la, la. Now you've got me thinking about it. Yeah, now I do. That's the power of asking questions that lead to people wrestling with truth. And it's one of the strategies of Jesus, and it's brilliant. Christ used questions. This maybe is a little more surfacy. Tell me the details of your story. This is a little more deep. Tell me what you dream, fear, what you're passionate about. And then deepest yet, have you ever thought about this? Oh, and did they work? Did the question asking work in Jesus' ministry? I mean, he asked 307 of them, and the answer is brilliantly. Let me show you, just even in this case. Jesus asked, guys, what do you really want in life? Look at their answer. You know, again, at first glance, it seems pretty shallow. Where are you staying? Can we see your hotel room? No, that's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. In fact, I would go so far as to speculate that some time elapsed between Jesus asking the question and then giving them the answer. As they walked along the road and Jesus said, I have a question for you. What is it that you men really want? They're like, oh, what do I want? What is my burning desire out of life? And when they thoughtfully answered two things, one we already saw, they chose to respond with a question, modeling themselves after their wannabe or their their hopeful rabbi. They want to be Jesus' disciple. But I believe not only is it a question, it also gets at the core of revealing what they want. This, where are you staying? The The word staying is very central in the Gospel of John. It's the concept of abiding of remaining, of a place of doing life. And when they say, you know what we'd really like? We'd like to be invited to the place where you're abiding. What they're really saying is, if you were open to it, we'd like to abide, share life with you. Friends, do you know in the Gospel of John, it reveals God's greatest heart is to abide with humanity. That's the passion of God is to tabernacle, it says sometimes, or share life in relationship with us. And the Bible also says in John that our greatest yearning, whether we realize it or not, is to connect in that sacred love relationship with God, to share life with God, to abide with him is our greatest longing. And that's what these guys are saying. They're like, Jesus, as as we've thought about it, we could have said money and riches, but eh, don't care about that that much. We could have said popularity and fame, but you know what we really long for? John the Baptist told us, you're like it. You are the answer to the sin problem of humanity. You are the long-awaited Messiah of God. If that's true, I'll tell you what we want. To abide, to stay, to share life with you. Good answer. 
And how does Jesus respond to their good answer? Well, look, he says in verse 39, Come, Jesus replied, and you will see. Now, again, you could think surfacely, and Jesus is saying, Yeah, I got a nice hotel room. You should see it. It's got good towels. Come on, I'll show you. You know, no, it's not about that. Jesus is talking deep here. In fact, when he says, Come, that's the invitation to discipleship. Throughout the Gospels, when Jesus looked at someone and said, Come, follow me. That was an invitation into this student-mentor relationship of shared life together, the very thing that they were longing for. And not only does Jesus invite them into discipleship, he then says, and you will see. This is Christ promising that this longing they have to taste, to experience, to, to see the life with Christ He's like, you're about to taste it. You're about to experience it. This thing that you've been wondering about is about to come clear to you in personal experience. Come and see. That's the great invitation of Jesus Christ to all of us. Brilliant! Did his question work? Oh, yes. And it almost always did. Jesus wielded questions like a surgeon, his knife, Jesus cut to the heart and changed people through the power of asking questions. Now, I have to ask you, are you a master question asker? Have you fine-tuned the art? You probably say, well, no, not like Jesus. There's no way. And I feel the same way. Although I'll tell you, I'm getting better at it through practice. Here's a little interesting tidbit. When I came to the Compass Church nearly four years ago now, I was notified of a responsibility that I was unaware of. They said, we've got sermon-based discussion questions that need to be written. They, they told me a lot of the small groups uh, discuss the sermon. That's how it works. And so one of your jobs is not only to preach the sermons, but every week to provide questions to go along with it. And I'm like, ah, never done that. Don't really want to do that. I'll do it. And so for the last four years, when I finish writing my sermon, I now turn to prepare seven to ten questions. Do you know how, I just did a little calculation to satisfy my own curiosity. Want to know how many questions I've come up with in the last four years? Nearly 2,000 questions. And I've had to wrestle with what questions will open the heart, get people to reveal their story, reveal their passion. What questions will get them to wrestle with the text and find the truth? And I was terrible at it. Now I'm just mildly bad. I've improved. (laughs) And you can too. But it takes practice. And so I challenge you to practice. Ask your spouse when you're out. Say, Lord, give me one good question to ask my spouse as we talk before we go to bed now. A question that's fun, revealing, maybe stretching as you're interacting with your kids. Lord, give me one good question. Interacting with neighbors, you know, out on the front lawn or wherever it may be. And as you practice, the Holy Spirit will increase your effectiveness at identifying the appropriate and powerful question for the moment. And you may be terrible at it now, but with God's help and with effort focused, you will get good at this. Your Savior was. And if you follow him, it's a non-negotiable. You got to become a master question asker. You know, one of the guys who 
questioned me in just powerful ways was a professor I've spoken of before at Wheaton College. His name was Dr. Lyle Dorset, and uh, Lyle believed in Pearl. He, I know he prayed for me, told us he prayed for his students. And then he eat. He would love to eat, in fact, and he would always do lunch with one of his students. He came to me on a number of occasions and said, Mr. Griffin, I want to dine with you. Oh, okay. You know, we went to the cafeteria and sat at a table, and I fully expected the conversation over that meal to be me asking the wise, brilliant PhD questions, but not so. He asked me questions the whole time. He would pull on that gray beard and say, Mr. Griffin, I got a question for you. Would you be willing to share your story? And so this guy was like a story expert. He was a biographer. He wrote biographies of D.L. Moody and C.S. Lewis and Billy Sunday and A.W. Tozer. So he wrote good stories. And I'm like, I remember telling him, uh, I would share my story with you, but it's not a good one. And he's the one who originally corrected me on that topic. He said, Jeff Griffin, every story is precious, including yours. You are precious to God and the details of your drama. They matter, and I want to hear them. I'm like, okay. And he had a way of pulling it out of me. You know, as a biographer, he had interviewed family and friends of the person he was writing about. So he was an expert at drawing out those story details. And over a number of lunches, he drew out details. At the end, I was like, wow, I've never told my story to anyone like I just told it there. I had fun. I felt honored and loved that he was interested in me. That's the draw out the story. Well, what about the heart? Yeah, I remember him asking me this. Mr. Griffin, why do you have the image of God in your mind that you do? In other words, what has led to your perception of God? Uh, That's a good question. I don't know. uh, Then he would ask me, do you think that God might just be infinitely better than your wildest dreams? That's a good question. He was getting at the heart. And then what about the irritating stuff? Oh, he was good at that one, too. He would, uh, one time he asked me, Mr. Griffin, what is going to be done in your life that will last forever? I mean, many people, he explained, you know, get to the end of life and they look back and they never did anything that counted for eternity. What about you? What's going to be accomplished in your life for Christ that will last forever? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good question. And those are the questions that haunted me. I'd leave the lunch, and I'm still thinking, what is going to last forever? I mean, am I going to waste my life, or am I going to make a difference? And this kind of stuff wouldn't leave me. He wrecked me in the most beautiful way with questions. Jesus was a master question asker. His disciples for thousands of years have done likewise. And you can too. Let's pray. Lord, Jesus, we love you. Every time we study your life, we stand amazed at the brilliance of your ways and the fact that you were a master question asker. We love it, and we ask that you would help us do the same. Would you please, Lord? So many of us are like, man, I'm terrible at this, and maybe they're right, so I pray for them now. God, by your Holy Spirit, make them great at asking questions.
Give them the, the inclination to test, to grow in this with family members and friends. And then bring them to a place where they have the guts and the wisdom to ask great questions to people far from God. Please, God, make the folks of the Compass Church at Bolingbrook and at 95th, Wheaton, Hobson, all campuses, make us master question askers, just like Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.